to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guest, along with my co-host, Devin Dio. We're back at it, weekly roundup number two, January 29th, and we've got plenty of news, so let's go ahead and get into it. Our first story that we wanted to talk about, obviously, or rather, let's say hopefully, you've already you know, kind of uh, been in the loop about the Supreme Court, how uh, Justice Stephen Breyer is going to be stepping down at the end of the current term. And President Biden has affirmed that he is going to appoint a black woman to the Supreme Court. So that's going to be the first time in history that we've had a black woman on the Supreme Court. So there's some top contenders. I think I saw some articles, Devin, that had about five names, but this article had about three. Uh, Contandra Brown Jackson, she's an influential U.S. Court of Appeals justice for the D.C. Court. Uh, Leandra Kruger, she's also a justice. She's serving her eighth year on the California Supreme Court. Then we have Juliana Michelle Childs. She's on the federal bench in South Carolina. And she also has the backing of Representative Jim Clyburn. And we know that uh, Jim Clyburn kind of got a name as the kingmaker with how he uh, revitalized President Biden's campaign. So maybe that endorsement will help her. Strengthening the diversity of the judicial branch has been a key priority for the Biden administration. The Senate has confirmed 40 new district and appellate judges last year, the most for a president in his first year since Ronald Reagan in 98 and 81. Among them was the first Muslim American judge and five black women. So, you know, again, uh, Devin, the Biden administration has kind of been holding uh, to that promise of making sure diversity is a priority in their administration. Um, they're doing that through their legislation and they're doing that through their appointments and even the cabinet. So uh, happy to see this. And we hope that um, these one of these black women um, are confirmed and that the Senate doesn't hold this up like they do a lot of legislation. Well, yeah, I mean, that last part, I think, is probably the most important part is will the, you know, Republicans try to hold it up and they are they've already kind of drawn the battle lines because they are, um, you know, taking offense to the fact that Biden took a pledge to nominate a black woman onto the, the Supreme Court. So they've already kind of, you know, taken offense to that and said that they don't want to, you know, approve someone just solely based on their skin color, which, of course, is not what's happening here. But I think, you know, this is if they can get this nomination through and get this person onto the bench. I think, you know, it's a monumental moment and, and it is, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about the things that Biden has not been able to get done, but one of the things he has been able to get done is appointing black judges onto the bench, whether that's, you know, he's got a chance to do this for the Supreme court, but also in the lower levels, he's been able to do that. And so that's one of the things he has been successful in doing. And you may not see the results of that now, but 10 years down the line, that's that's a huge thing because we saw that with the, with Donald Trump and some, and some of the judges that he was, you know, putting onto the bench. So um, I'm excited to see exactly what happens and who he chooses. But either way, it's going to be a monumental moment for the country with the first black woman being appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, and I'm, I'm all for it. So, um, well, of course, we'll keep you updated on who ultimately is nominated and hopefully they go on to be, you know, affirmed and approved by the Senate. So we'll move on to our next story here. So there is a Florida school district that has canceled 
a civil rights seminar. So the day after the Florida State Senate's Education Committee passed the bill banning public schools and private businesses from making people feel, quote unquote, discomfort when learning about U.S. racial history, a school district in Central Florida canceled a teacher training seminar about the civil rights movement movement that had been in the months uh, had been months in planning. But late Wednesday afternoon, Dr. Uh, J. Michael Butler and, and his colleagues learned that Osceola school officials were forcing uh, forcing them to cancel the seminar. The district said he was told they had instituted a review committee to investigate all training materials for the possibility that they might promote, quote, critical race theory. And his curriculum director wor- worried that the seminar's advanced reading materials would raise, quote unquote, red flags. And so um, Dr. Michael J. Butler could remember telling his students this when our former president used the term fake news. I told my classes to be aware of what's coming next. And that's fake history. End quote. And so, Adrian, this is exactly the very thing we talked about with Janelle George from Georgetown University when we talked about what is critical race theory and what did it mean when all of these states were falling over themselves trying to pass bills to ban critical race theory. We talked about what is the after effect of that. And we talked about the possibility of this sort of chilling effect where it goes far, far behind critical race theory and you start getting certain books banned. You start stopping teachers from teaching certain things in the classroom under the guise of your teaching critical race theory. And here's a concrete example of people just being worried, not that it is, you know, they're teaching critical race theory, but they're just worried some of the the curriculum could be misconstrued as being, you know, teaching critical race theory and could raise some red flags. I think this is exactly the sort of thing we were worried about. And it's just, you know, again, a symptom of a larger problem that the country, you know, there are a lot of people in the country who just aren't ready to have a very, you know, to have a real conversation about this country's history and how race has played into it. You know, I saw this story and I was just like, you know, it's civil rights. <laughs> it's, it's civil rights. I don't. I don't understand how civil rights could be a bad thing to implement or to teach or talk about. Um, I get how some people are worried that you know that their students are going to learn uh, the, the right history. Um, but I, I agree with Dr. Butler. Um, this this fake history. That's that's what I feel like we're seeing. Uh, on the rise, that everyone's thinking that there's a lot of just fake history that's trying to take away American uh, patriotism. Um, it's trying to demonize white culture. Um, you know, I, I don't know what's going on, but it's it's a messy situation we're in, where race is is unfortunately such a big issue right now, and it's it's winning elections. Uh, it's changing school curriculums. It's getting new bills and state legislatures moving. Uh, even in our home state, uh, Mississippi's you know got a bill about it where the Democratic Senate walked out. I mean, it's it's just insane that we're still um, you know talking about how we need to educate our future generations about uh, acceptance of, of racial differences and what those race and what racial history has been like in America and the ramifications of that. So 
Um, yeah, listeners, we hope that you stay in the loop on all of the stuff that's going on. We're going to make sure to keep you in the loop. And we're going to take you to another crazy story here. This is out of Georgia, where a Georgia pastor and his wife were arrested and charged after police found eight people locked in their basement. This is according to NBC News. Curtin Bankston and his wife, Sophia Sinbankston, were charged with false imprisonment. The Griffin Police Department said the couple were operating an unlicensed group home out of their rented home in Griffin, Georgia. Police learned the people in the basement had mental and physical disabilities and were essentially a prison against their will, which created an extreme hazard as the individuals could not exist or exit their residence if there was an emergency. The Banksons were in charge of their finances, medication, and public benefit of the people that kept locked in the basement. Police also said they denied them medicine and medical care at times. So... You know, again, a crazy story. Uh, you know, you, you don't want your clergyman to be involved in any sort of scandals, less known, you know, kidnapping and uh, imprisoning people where you can't, you know, actually uh, care for them. So uh, another crazy story for us listeners. <laughs> crazy is right. What a bizarre story. Hopefully they get what's coming to them, you know, holding these people against their will. What a ridiculous thing. Um, you know, to do, but we'll definitely keep you posted as as far as how that story plays out and whatever sentence they get, um, whether that's by man's law or God's law, they're going to get something, <laughs> you know, with them being a pastor. Uh, but we'll move on to our next story. <laughs> I like that. That's nice. There you go. <laughs> uh, a little, little yeah. quick hit humor before we get to the end. Yeah. Injecting <laughs> a little humor up in there. Uh, but we'll move to our next story here. Um, where there was a uh, a man whose conviction was reversed in Nevada due to racial stereotypes. So Sean Maurice Dean, who's 55, was sentenced to 12 to 31 years in prison in 2019 in the stabbing case that has since been overturned by the Nevada, the Nevada Supreme Court on grounds that his jury was influenced by harmful racial stereotypes. And this is according to the Associated Press. So um, according to a panel of three judges, defense attorney Gary Woodbury's questioning of prospective jurors about their racial attitudes was, quote, flawed and inappropriate, end quote, and fell below an objective standard of reasonableness. And so the counsel insisted that the prospective jurors must have heard that all African-Americans like watermelon and have an, have an attribute of violence that they were that they are sneaky. Whether counsel himself believed any of the offensive stereotypes is immaterial because bringing such racial and invective into the courtroom cannot be justified. Um, And so this is, you know, a pretty interesting story, Adrian, in that you see invoking certain stereotypes like black people like watermelon or that they're more prone to be violent and are sneaky. Therefore, you should question everything that they say and not believe it on face value, I think it's something that's deeply embedded into the criminal justice system. I think when people think about racism in 2022, look no further than the criminal justice system, the way it's handled in the courts, the way the prisons work. I mean, the entire system is, is rife full of, of racial stereotypes being played out every day on the street. Um, and that goes all the way down to the people who patrol the streets and our police officers. They believe some of these very, very same stereotypes. 
And so you saw it here just with the questioning of the jurors. And so um, it looks like, you know, uh, Mr. Mr. Mar- Sean Maurice Dean actually had his his uh, sentence overturned because of these racial stereotypes. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad they're paying attention to it. And so hopefully he does eventually get a fair trial. I hope so. I mean, here we are again. You know, it's America. Race is embedded into everything that we do. Uh, in previous episodes, we've talked about this, listener. We've talked about how it's all the actors throughout the criminal justice system, from the judges down to the police officers. Um, everybody's got to have some changes and some training and some education even. So we'll, we'll, we'll move forward and go to another interesting story here. Democratic Representative Cori Bush of Missouri revealed that her vehicle was hit by gunfire on Saturday. Thankfully, no one was hurt. The exact location of the incident uh, outside of St. Louis, Missouri, was not revealed. However, CNN reported that Representative Bush was not the target of the attack. She tweeted on Twitter, I'm touched by everyone who has reached out. Thankfully, no one was harmed. That's why our movement is working to invest in our communities eradicate the root cause of gun violence and keep everyone safe. I feel like Devin, um, we were, we reported on her giving a speech and having some gunfire, like, you know, during her speech or something, she was mm-hmm. just like a, uh, uh, yeah, a magnet for gun, <laughs> for gun violence or something. It's either that or Missouri really has a problem because every time she's talking or doing something, there's gunfire in her neighborhood. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. St. Louis needs to um, figure that out. I know we talked about their new mayor that they got. Uh, I can't quite remember her name, but I remember, you know, she came in with an eye towards trying to fix some of these, some of these things. But thankfully, no one was hurt, um, at least in this you know particular incident. But of course, we'll keep you updated on that. Hopefully, <laughs> Representative Cory Bush, you know, that's not a. Um, you know, maybe an omen for what's going to happen in 2022, what kind of year it's going to be. But we'll keep you updated on that. So our next door here, we're going to go down to Central Michigan, um, where dozens of prospective Central Michigan University students who were mistakenly told that they had won full ride scholarships that include room and board have received an apology from the school. So school officials said 58 students received messages last weekend while accessing the university portal, and the message told them that they had won a Centralist Scholars Award, which includes full tuition, room and board, money towards books and supplies, and a $5,000 Study Away Award. And so after all of that, they probably were on top of the world. And then the university said Wednesday that they had to go back and um, that those contacted had not actually won this prestigious award and that the message was had gone out inadvertently as school staffers were testing new messaging technology. So the university has now apologized for the error and offered all 58 prospective students the equivalent of a full tuition scholarship. So at least they did make make up for it. They may not get exactly what they were told in this message, but a full tuition scholarship is still pretty darn good. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where if I got a uh, an acceptance letter where I get full tuition, room and board, books, supplies, and a $5,000 award, I'd be like, damn, what's going damn good. on? <laughs> right. I'd be like, I didn't even know they had something where they give out 
all of that plus a five thousand right. bonus. That's like a sign-in bonus or something. <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, hey, I would have been happy, but you know, full like like Devin said, full tuition is great listeners. So yeah. you know, hey, maybe, you know, that's that's what you need to do. Try to, you know, get a if you're gonna try to be a hacker, you know, do it with university messaging and you know, get some free tuition for people. But our last story to kind of round off our segment here is some uh, good news here. According to the Association of American Medical Colleges, the 2021 school year started with the largest and most diverse class in history. Enrollment by people who identified as Black or African American rose by 21% among the 22,000 plus students who started med school that year. Dr. Cedric Bright says that medical schools have to decrease the cost of medical school as the heavy debt load still discourages people from applying, but said that students need community support as well. According to Norma Pohl Hunter, who leads the workforce diversity efforts of the American medical colleges, more black doctors could mean better outcomes for black patients. So that's a really great thing to see uh, more black students getting into med school and the fact that this will lead to better outcomes for us because, you know, Black doctors kind of understand a little bit more, can empathize with the community more. So good to see that. But like I said, our last little story to round off our segment here, and we're going to lead you into our first break. So make sure you stick with us. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda Podcast. We appreciate your support, and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So let's get into our second segment here. We're going and we're going to start with a quick update. Um, so first off, the Supreme Court announced on Monday that it will hear challenges to race-based college admissions decisions, which could potentially upend affirmative action in higher education. We actually had an in, uh, interview in an episode about this last year, so. The conservative-funded group Students for Fair Emissions uh, sued the University of North Carolina and Harvard University, claiming that the school is discriminated against Asian Americans, and this is according to The Hill. Uh, The case will go before the Supreme Court in October, with the decision being expected by June of 2023. Um, Our next quick update is going to be about the Omicron and COVID-19 epidemic or pandemic we're still experiencing uh, Omicron, which is the highly contagious version of coronavirus variant, sw- is, is still sweeping across the country and is driving the daily American death to a higher than during last fall's Delta wave, with the death- deaths likely to keep rising for days or even weeks. And so the seven-day rolling average for new, new daily COVID-19 deaths in the United States has been climbing since mid-November, reaching uh, a little bit over 2,200 on Thursday which is surpassing a September peak of 2100 when Delta was the prominent variant. It is now estimated that Omicron is going to account for nearly all of the virus circulating in the nation. So there you go. Omicron is continuing to spread. So please take your precautions. Still wear your mask when necessary. Wash your hands. Keep your distance. We have, we're still in a pandemic. I know it's like year three now, but we just have to make sure you stay on top of it. Yeah, it's it's so tough now to fight COVID fatigue. 
because yeah. we've been in it for a while, and I've I've heard so many people, even my coworkers, say that by this point we just have to treat it like the flu. And I mean, it's tough. You know, I I had you know one of my favorite aunts passed away with COVID, and it's one of those things to where it's like you know it's interesting to think about it now as it gets closer to people that I actually know versus just reporting on you know statistics and different things like that. But yeah, it's. It's it's a real thing. I mean, we, we're going to have to figure out how do we normalize our lives and get back into some sort of, you know, normalization, I guess you could say, um, and still save lives. And I don't, I'm not sure exactly how we do that without people wearing masks, getting vaccinated, mm-hmm. getting booster shots, keeping up with, you know, hand sanitizer and all those other things. So uh, listeners, do your part. Let's make sure we get through this together. Um, talking about you know doing your part, we've got Morehouse College, who's established the Black Men's Research Institute (BMRI) to investigate the economic, social, cultural, and personal outcomes of issues affecting Black men, particularly where disparities exist in the United States and beyond. Through collaborative, through collaborative thought leadership, the institute hopes to counter conflicting narratives, distrust, and ambiguity by bringing a clear, authoritative voice to. To bear on men's experience on black men's experiences. Clarissa Merrick Harris, chair of the Division of Humanities and Professor of Africana Studies, told Insight the Institute will look into and share how black men and boys have conquered obstacles and found methods to empower themselves, their families, and their communities. The BMRI, which is supported by a four-year grant from the Andrew W. Mellon uh, Foundation, plans to launch an annual symposium and a public lecture series, among other objectives. So good, good thing there. Uh, Morehouse College, we wish we could have got them on our HBCU uh, um, um, series last year, but um, they're doing some great things, uh, helping out black men, um, especially it's interesting because I remember we, uh, last week we talked about uh, MLK's niece uh, <laughs> talking about myths in black men. So we actually have a college who's, starting an institute to fight those myths. Exact. That's exactly what we wanted to see. Things like that, putting the research behind it to prove and dis- prove some things, but also disprove uh, some stereotypes that are out there, particularly about um, black men. But we'll, of course, keep you updated as far as what Morehouse releases when it comes to the research. Uh, but our next story here is going to be a little bit more serious. And so you may have heard about it on social media. It's been making the rounds, but uh, police in Connecticut have officially opened an investigation into the death of a black woman who was found dead last month in her Bridgeport, Connecticut apartment after a date with the man she had met on a dating app. So the, her name is Lauren Smith field. She's 23 and she was found after a man that she had met on Bumble called 911 on December 12th to report that he had woken up to her being unresponsive and with a nosebleed. And so in his notice of claim, uh, the family's attorney, Darnell Crossland, said that Bridgeport police failed to investigate and did not recover critical evidence from her apartment, which included a bloodstained bed sheet, a pill, and a used condom. And they didn't recover those until two weeks after her death. And that was even after the urging of her family. And so Bridgeport police have not responded to multiple requests for comment about these claims. Um, The office of the chief medical examiner said Monday that Smithfield's death was, 
quote, accidental, resulting from acute intoxication. Um, and this was in a statement on Tuesday. Uh, Bridgeport police said that as a result of the medical examiner's report, the police narcotics and vice division had opened an investigation and they will be assisted assisted by the DEA. Um, and so the statement said that she died because of effects of fentanyl, promethazine, hydroxine, and alcohol. And so um, I've seen this story all over social media, Adrian, especially, did you, you know, a lot of people found it suspicious that the guy she went on the date called the police and said, hey, she's unresponsive. And there was no investigation into exactly his possible role in all of this. And so at least now it does look like they're actually going to investigate what happened. But hopefully it's not too late and they didn't lose critical evidence. And that's the thing right there. Just, you know, the delayed response and just, you know, the lack thereof of really a response, I guess you could say. Um, So we're hoping that that there is something that's done because they're moving forward with this investigation. So we'll, uh, we'll definitely hope to kind of hear some more news and keep you in the loop of that. Uh, our next story takes us down to Mississippi, our home state. Um, I think we you know, talked a little bit about this story and other stories of cities that are kind of, you know, going through this with their unreliable water system. Uh, and this has happened in Mississippi's capital city, Jackson. It's causing problems. <laughs> you know, one, um, a uh, hair salon storekeeper was talking about it and how she has to keep dozens of jugs of water in her small shop. This is in South Jackson. She stashes them under the sink along the face of the wall with the slogan, Jesus is Lord. Even if water stops flowing from the city system, she needs to rinse chemicals out of her client's hair. That's so, that's a crazy thing right there. Um, that you've got, you, you know, you're a business owner. You can't even rely on, you know, the city's water. Uh, but we know that Jackson has had a long-standing, expensive-to-fix problem with this aging water system, and the EPA issued a notice this week that the system violates the Federal Safe Drinking Water Act. The order directs the city to outline a plan to correct the significant deficiencies identified in an EPA report within 45 days. The city is experiencing water woes again this week because temperatures dip below freezing and cause problems with membranes in a treatment plant. Crews have been scrambling to fix newly broken pipes and several Jackson schools closed for in-person instruction because they had no water or low pressure. Jackson will request at least $42 million for short-term water system repairs as state legislators consider how to spend Mississippi's share of the federal money for infrastructure improvements and pandemic relief. So, you know, we know that the government has given lots of money towards infrastructure. I mean, you know, millions of dollars. We got, you know, the infrastructure bill, uh, which was what, one point something trillion um, mm-hmm. towards infrastructure. So, so much of that is supposed to go to like, you know, fixing water and stuff like that. Um, you know, th- this sort of situation is so important or it takes me back rather to the conversation we had. I don't remember if it was in an interview a week around that, but we were talking about following the money to make sure that all of the money, you know, as this money that the federal government is doing is trickling down to the states and trickling down to the localities, like what is it actually going to? And this is a situation where, you know, if we are going to pass an infrastructure bill, here's clearly a great place to start in the capital city where there's a lot of African-American population. I mean, there's, you know, come on, you know, 
we're it's 2022. We shouldn't have you know cities that don't pass the Safe Drinking Water Act. Yeah, I mean, I think it's ridiculous, and it's a pattern that Mississippi has shown that they really don't care about their capital city because the people who work in the Mississippi state capital typically don't even live in Jackson in the first place. So they don't have to experience these things that citizens of Jackson, Mississippi actually have to deal with. And so we've, they've ignored it for so long. Now the price tag is astronomical because there are so many problems because of years of neglect. Now that they, they actually have to go back and just almost rip out the system and replace it. So this is why that infrastructure bill that they passed at the end of last year is so important. And it's why in, in a lot of ways that things like the, you know, the American rescue plan, the COVID bill and build back better, things like that are, that's why they're so important because these cities need money to make these sort of repairs. I mean, it's unthinkable now to be able to have a business in a city where the water can be shut off without notice, (laughs) you know, because they're making repairs somewhere like that's a reality in, in a place like Jackson. Like it's it's unheard of, but it's just the way that the state of Mississippi has treated Jackson. They just don't care because it's a majority black city that's run by black people. And their attitude is it's your problem. You fix it. And the state is not going to help to it's not going to help them out. And so this is what the citizens suffer between the leadership of Jackson and the state leadership in Mississippi. At the end of the day, the people suffer. And it's it's pitiful because there are children involved. You see the schools have to close because they don't have any water. I mean, it's just an outrageous situation that wouldn't happen in a city that's majority white. Like, let's not kid ourselves. Like, if this was, you know, someplace where it was 60% white or 80% white, this would be unheard of. Like, you would it, after day one, this would be fixed. It would not be this re- reoccurring problems. But, you know, I think they just turned a blind eye because it's a black city and they don't really care. Yeah, it's one of those things where they probably would say, well, it's because of failed Democratic leadership or something like yeah. that, where that's the issue. And it's not. It's just that uh, the city is, you know, not just had the, the money to invest. I mean, clearly it's something like Devin said, where you've got to really uproot everything. Uh, I think we talked about how much of a cost. And I think it was something in the billions. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, it's it's not a cheap thing. No, I mean, and that's that's infrastructure as a whole across the country, because typically we don't put a lot of money into investing in infrastructure in America, just in general. So when you've neglected doing it for so long, when you finally finally have to, the price tag is, is ridiculous. And people say, oh, my God, are we really going to spend trillions on infrastructure? Well, yeah, <laughs> because you spent 50 years ignoring it. So it's like. The bill has come due in a place like Jackson and people don't want to help out. The state doesn't want to help out because they're like, oh, my God, it's so expensive. But, yeah, you've ignored it for, you know, three decades. Like at some point you have to invest in the, in the city, in the infrastructure it's, or it's just going to fall apart and poison people. But um, hopefully they get some movement. I mean, they've already requested 42 million and hopefully the state is smart enough to to funnel quite a bit of uh, federal money into Jackson to help with these infrastructure improvements. But of course, we'll bring that to you um, in a later update. So we're going to move on from Jackson, Mississippi. We're going to go 
to talk about Mr. Joe Exotic. You may remember him. He has the Tiger King documentary on Netflix. And so it looks like he's not going to be getting out anytime soon. A federal judge resentenced Tiger King, a.k.a. Joe Exotic, to 21 years in prison, um, reducing his sentence by just a year, despite pleas from the former zookeeper for leniency as he begins treatment for early stage cancer. Joe Exotic was convicted in a case involving animal welfare activist Carol Baskin, and both were featured in Netflix's documentary, Tiger King. And so his attorney, Emma Hanna, told the judge that he's not receiving the proper medical care inside the federal prison system and that a lengthy prison system is essentially a death sentence for Joe that he doesn't deserve. So... I don't know. I mean, depending on how you fall on, on Tiger King, it's, it's sad news. I mean, of course, you you hate to hear that he does have cancer, um, but it looks like he's not going to be getting out of prison anytime soon. Yeah, it's definitely not a good story, I guess. I'm not sure how to do it. Obviously, he did some bad things, but you know, after watching you know the season one of Tiger King, I didn't really, I wasn't going to get invested in the second season, but. Um, there were a lot of people who, if he's in prison, they should be in prison because they did the exact <laughs> same thing that he did. Um, so, you know, I think Carol Baskin was at his um, proceedings, and I think she should probably, you know, be kind of sentenced as well. All, like I said, all of them were kind of in this. But let's take you to another story here. Joe Rogan, everybody remembers him from Fear Factor and a UFC uh, uh, commentator. Now shares controversial opinions via his podcast, uh, has remarks about the term black. I've placed him in the center of a lot of black, blacklash, but you can say that, I guess, backlash. During an episode of the Joe Rogan Experience podcast, the host tells clinical psychologist Jordan Peterson, the black and white thing is so strange because there's such a spectrum of shades of people. Rogan continues Unless you're talking to someone who is like 100% African from the darkest part where they are not wearing any clothes all day and they've developed all the melanin to protect themselves from the sun, the term black is weird. <laughs> it's, you know, it's interesting, um, you know, interesting perspective on, on it. You know, I, I personally, you know, prefer the term black just because I, I get that, you know, my ancestors are from Africa, but it, to me, it's almost so far removed that, like, you know, black is, like, is more of who we are. And it's like if you are someone who is actually from Africa, then you can, you know, be more of an African-American. And I don't think by saying you're black, you're, you're losing your African roots, your African heritage. But I just think it's just saying that um, it's almost like a separate identity and culture because obviously if you look at how the African even if you want to say the African American population acts here versus how the African population acts now, it's totally, totally different cultures. Um and you know, I don't know. I just you know, I think, you know, black I think it's good. I think that's a good term for us as black Americans. <laughs> yeah, I mean you know my thing on on Joe and this whole what he just said, I think in his mind it sounded like something really smart to be like you know like the whole black white thing is so strange. There's such a spectrum of people. Of course, there's a spectrum of people. Like races, there are intertwined. Now you're going to get different shades of colors. Like we're not like 
come to 2022 reality, like, what are you talking about? Nobody loves the word black. Like, obviously, we're not literally black. Like, he's talking about, like, if unless you're talking to somebody who's 100% African from the darkest place where they're not wearing any clothes. Like, what are you talking? Like, I think he speaks sometimes, and in his head, it sounds really smart. Like, this sounds like a really smart take. Like, whoa, man, the, the word black is weird because black people don't exist anymore because they're just shades of black people. Like, duh. We've been, like, we, come on, Joe. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, a lot of people don't like the word black. Some people prefer African-American. I mean, obviously, we're all kind of sort of intertwined with different races, especially white folks because of, of slavery and what happened there. So a lot of us don't have a direct lineage back to Africa, but of course there were, there are shades of people, but I think, you know, it's just, I'm, I'm kind of over Joe Rogan a lot of times because I think he just talks and says things that in his head sound really, really smart. But when he says them out loud, they really sound dumb. Like this was a dumb take. I don't understand what he's getting at here. Like, of course, black people, like literal, literal black people, they're hard to find right now. <laughs> like, I don't get it. Like, what is he going for here? Yeah, he's um, just. I don't know. <laughs> it's just terrible. It's just, it's just terrible. He's yeah, but yeah. So I get off my rant on Joe Rogan. Uh, but we'll end this. We'll end our segment here talking about some good news. And so um, there's an app now called Stackwell that's been created as a platform to help Black families grow wealth and hopefully help to end the racial wealth gap. And so according to data from the Brookings Institution in 2016, the net worth of the average white family was nearly 10 times the net worth of an average Black family. And so, of course, this highlights just how far behind Black America is in terms of financial freedom and at no fault of its own for the most part. And so Trevor Rosier Bird felt it was his mission to help Black America grow its wealth. He is a husband. He's a father and a lawyer and former business executive uh, who founded Stackwell, which is a digital investment platform on it. And it has a mission to end the racial wealth gap and create a wave of Black investors. And so... The company Stackwell or the platform called Stackwell is trying to provide better information to people so that they can become comfortable and familiar with the investment process. And so what makes Stackwell different from its competitors is its focus on not just investing, but also community building. Bird wants the black community to feel like they belong in the world of investing. So I think it's right now it's in beta testing. It's not open to the public just yet. But of course, once it launches and you can download it or get on the platform, of course, we'll let you know. But what a great idea. And hopefully he is successful in ending the racial wealth gap. So with that, that's going to wrap up our news portion of the show. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll get right into our quick hits. So stick with us and we'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guess and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. 
All right, welcome back, listeners. So let's get into our quick hits. We've already kind of had a little bit of fun on the show, but let's really get into it this time. So our very first quick hit is going to come from West Virginia, where Governor Jim Justice has a message for singer and actress Bet Betty Midler, who called West Virginians, quote, poor, illiterate, and strung out in a tweet that she was directing at Senator, Senator Joe Manchin as he refused to support President Joe Biden's Build Back Better Act. And so 70-year-old Republican Governor Jim Justice ended his televised State of the State address Thursday night by lifting up his English bulldog and flashing his rear end to the cameras and the crowd. The governor said, quote, Baby dog tells Betty Midler and all those out there, kiss her hiney. And he was grinning as people applauded, and some even gave him a standing ovation. So Midler shot back in a tweet with the ranking of states from an unnamed source showing West Virginia near the bottom in healthcare, education, and the economy. And so uh, Midler said the dog's hiney would make a better governor, though she used a stronger word than that. After receiving backlash, Midler apologized to the good people of West Virginia for her outburst in a follow-up tweet later that day. So there you go. <laughs> Midler has some strong words about West Virginia. Hopefully, uh, Baby Dog never really understands what she was used for when she got picked up <laughs> and had her butt showed to the rest of the world. Uh, but I guess the message got across because Midler did eventually apologize. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it, it was, um, I, I guess the governor was trying to just poke a little fun, but it's good points. Um, the people of West Virginia aren't supporting Build Back Better because they're not getting Joe Manchin to, uh, you know, change his mind. So maybe we'll get some justice around that. Um, but let's go to, I think this is, yeah, this is our Southern California and Silicon Valley area. Um Talking about settling into a new home and some scientists helping uh, transplanted burrowing owls feel a little bit better about their new home in an interesting way, actually. They're they're using uh, fake poop to kind of help the owls feel better. The owls' grass and homes have been, you know, taken away due to prime real estate, and they're losing, like I said, in Silicon Valley and Southern California. Biologists have tried moving the owls to protected grasslands, but the challenge has been getting the owls to accept their new homes. Just dropping off the owls in prime habitat wasn't enough, prior attempts showed. In a pilot program, scientists took took pains to create the impression that owls already lived in there and that they wanted to stick around. The scientists played recordings of owl calls before and after the new arrivals were released at four locations in Southern California. Waninsky used a syringe to squirt around fake owl poop, which in reality was just white paint. So um, interesting you know, attempt to get owls to take to a new home, you know, plan the owl calls and some fake poop. I mean, I guess that makes them feel right at home. Hey, it worked. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It worked. It worked after all that. Um, no, that's a cool story. I mean, this isn't, the next story here is not quite as cool as that, but um, police in Ireland are investigating reports that the body of a dead man was brought to a post office in an attempt to collect his pension. So the Irish Times said a man who appeared to be in his 60s was dragged into the post office in the town of Carlo on Friday, propped up by two younger men. When questioned by the staff, the two fled, leaving behind 
the older man who was found to be dead. They literally dropped the man on the floor and left. And he was dead. And so according to the Irish Times, one of the younger men had inquired about collecting someone's pension and was, and was told that the recipient had to be present. And so with the help of a companion, he allegedly returned with the dead man's body and asked about collecting his pension. And so um, there you go. That's a bizarre story. There, <laughs> They literally dragged a dead man into the post office and then when questioned, they fled and ran away. So hopefully yeah. they get caught. Uh, hopefully, you know, maybe they're hopefully they aren't the ones who killed them. But, you know, it's just kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's a crazy story. That's a that's a ballsy move to, you know, take a dead man in and try to collect some pension money. Um, you know, it reminds me of the story we had where, like, the lady was keeping her mom who was, like, dead oh, for six yes. months and collecting the money. Oh. It's like, at least she was getting it easy. She didn't have to take her mom anywhere. Like Mm-mm. these people had to, so I mean, maybe they should have tried to figure out ways to do it remote. You know, do it, do, do it through Zoom. You know, just fix it up. It's like weekend at Bernie's or something. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I mean, change tell it to Zoom. Tell her she's quarantining right now. There you go. Change <laughs> it to direct deposit. You know, because like, <laughs> my thing is like, okay, you you drag the body into the post office. Like, how is he going to speak? He's dead. <laughs> so are you going to speak for him? Like yeah. what? <laughs> You gotta do sign language. Like, how is this gonna work? Yeah, it's, they, they clearly didn't think it through. So, yeah. not quite. It's, it's actually a really good, interesting story. Um, this one, the next one here is out of Florida. It's in, well, rather from a, a Florida woman. They were, you know, traveling. Um, Olivia Garcia said in a TikTok video that she and her family were driving through the Carolinas and they took a side trip because they were convinced through a TikTok video that the city, Gastonia, was really, really beautiful. And it was posted by a TikToker, Zachary Kesey. Kesey's video was part of what he calls Not Carolina series, features footage of his trip to Switzerland, which he intentionally misidentifies as Gastonia. Garcia told WBTV, the video made Gastonia look like a town out of a Disney movie. Garcia said, and then all of a sudden we get there and it's just rundown gas stations. Like, we had to go to the bathroom, and there was no bathroom that worked in any of the gas stations. <laughs> um, Garcia's reaction to the real Gastonia earned the attention of Walter E. Reed III, the town's mayor. The mayor said, apparently we are the talk of the town. And while Gastonia is certainly not Switzerland, we're glad people are learning more about our great city. Um, you know, <laughs> I guess you should have, or I don't use TikTok that much, but maybe she, there was a, there's a way to see that this is a part of a video series where like the TikToker says like not California, I mean, not Cap Carolina. I don't, I mean, I, I, I don't use TikTok, but Devin, I mean, you, you might can attest to that. You know, is there, is there a way that she would have been able to tell that this was a part of a fake, you know, series or something? <laughs> I don't know. I'm really not sure. I don't know. That is, but I don't know. That's a weird story. I, I know. I was like, I, <laughs> I don't know, know how you tell, like, you know, because I'm like, you know, maybe he's just doing it as a part of what he's calling not Carolina series, and he's just posting hmm. this. And I guess, I guess she probably wouldn't know because you would just see this beautiful, um, you know, mountain range and mm-hmm. you know waters and stuff like that, and you just be like, oh, let's stop there, but. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I would probably. I don't. I saw the picture. And I was like, I don't think I would think that's in Carolinas. I mean, it just. 
it looked yeah, like it was on. just too good to be true. Yeah, sometimes you, it's hard to see. You know, TikTok can be kind of tricky, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know really know how you how you know it unless you do what she did and go see. Um, but we'll move on to our next quick hit here. So. If you like fortune cookies, you may want to hang on to them if you have numbers because it could actually win you some money later on. So a North Carolina veteran turned a restaurant meal into a Mega Millions jackpot after he used the numbers from his fortune cookie to win a $4 million prize. And so his name is Gabriel Fierro and his him and his wife ate at the Red Bull Asian Bistro in Charlotte, North Carolina about once a week. They eat there almost every week. And this is according to the North Carolina Education Lottery. But last week, however, their cookies were extra fortunate. Fierro said he decided on a whim to play his fortune cookie numbers in two in last Tuesday's drawing, and he ended up with the largest win in the history of online play in the state. Fierro collected the prize on Thursday, taking home $2.8 million after tax withholdings the 60-year-old who is retired uh, as a disabled combat veteran uh, said that he is going to uh, invest most of his winnings. Um, but how about that? I mean, he just took his fortune cookie numbers, played it, and took home $2.8 million after taxes. So that's, you know, good day's work, I guess. <laughs> you know, I've really been thinking about playing the lottery more, even like the scratch lotteries for like the ten to $100,000 or something like that, because like, if you can have such a lump sum like that to invest, I mean, that's when you oh. really make, you know, moves because yeah. it's like, you know, if you're just putting in a hundred dollars and, and something goes up by, you know, $5, you just made $5. But if you're putting in, you know, 2 million and something goes up by $5, that's, you know, 2 million times $5. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're able to really Money. see some growth. Right. Exactly. So I'm just <laughs> like, geez, I, lesson learned play lottery you know do, do you know have good plans but also just you know what's what's a hundred dollars a month to the lottery or something because i mean it's like we waste money on everything else and i'm like most lotteries <laughs> go towards education so i'm like you know it's, right. it's a donation to education maybe um, i will say my um my former boss used to say that playing the lottery especially like playing it on your phone was like having a little bit of hope in your pocket. That's how he would describe it. So if you ever bought lottery tickets or you played it on your phone, like you have a little hope in your pocket. So I mean, think about it like that. That's, that's <laughs> not a bad way. And I mean, with this, with the way this pandemic has been, you know, we all need a little hope in our pocket. So uh, hey, let's, let's, I mean, let's start using that hope for something. Um, I, I guarantee you, um, uh, Biden's uh, communication team wish they had some hope in their pocket with the way President Biden was doing. Um, it went viral Monday afternoon following a hot mic moment after a White House photo op. As the news pool room was being herded from the room, Fox News' Peter Ducey got in the last question, shouting, do you think inflation is a political liability ahead of the midterms? Obviously it is, but uh, President Biden responded with, no, it's a great asset, more inflation. What a son of a bitch. <laughs> and, you know, this is, you know, our President Biden. What a Joe stupid Biden. son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, he actually, yeah, you can Google it and check out the actual link where he's, you know, where he says it. 
Uh, this prompted panic amongst uh, White House communication staffers. Some people compare Biden to Trump, but I think Trump was much worse than, you know, this is only one gaffe from President Biden compared to all the stuff that Donald Trump said, you know, but it is first year. Um, after and also they they mentioned that you know it's a bad question because you know duh inflation is going to be a liability ahead of midterm so it's just like uh, you know President Biden was just trying to I guess you know be an American and um, you know I saw somebody post on uh, social media that this was like the first time that they've been able to relate to him so uh, maybe this will help him <laughs> out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, maybe it could work to his benefit. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I mean, things aren't going very well for the president right now. Um, and so it probably was a little bit of frustration coming out, as well as it being a terrible question. I think it was some frustration coming out just about where things are with, you know, his approval ratings being where they are, not being able to get his agenda through. And then you get a question like this from a reporter and Peter Ducey, who's not really that great coming from a news organization like Fox News, who spouts not misinformation 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So you're not happy with what they're saying. So I think it was just a culmination of a bunch of things. And he just let it really he just let it go in that moment and called him a, a stupid son of a bitch, you know, right, right on a hot mic. And it really reminded me of like when he got caught on the hot mic, when president Obama was in office and he was saying that passing the affordable care act was a, a, a big effing deal, you know, <laughs> so, you know, he got caught on a hot mic then, but I mean, but I also was like, well, Hey, that's the Joe Biden. I was kind of used to hearing a little bit, you know, just, not Donald Trump, where he says it all the time, but, you know, you hear a little bit of realness and like, okay, that was a stupid, a really stupid question. You know, like you know, nobody was, loves inflation. Like, come on. <laughs> I was reading an article talking about how the Biden communication strategy is trying to shift away from all these conversations with Congress to more, you know, connections with the American yeah. people. So, you know, maybe this is part of that strategy. I mean, hey, maybe, maybe it'll work. I and mean, we got the midterms coming up. What's I mean, what do you have to lose by being real hey, with the don't, people? Don't say that. You sound like Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. You got you have to have to turn into that. But uh, you know, we'll see how this new new communication strategy works out. Uh, but yeah, listeners, so that's going to be it for our quick hits. And so the only thing we have left is just our normal ending to let you know what's coming up on the podcast. So stick with us and we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right. Welcome back, listeners. So as always, we're going to give you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the podcast. So first up, our next episode is going to be coming out on Tuesday, February 1st. This time it's going to, we're going to be covering Black Contributions to America's Success. So that is going to be our very first episode of Black History Month, which is February. And so... The month of February is all about celebrating Black history, and we're going to start the month by giving you some stories of Black contributions to America's success. So 
Um, we're going to make sure we're going to let you know. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're hoping to line up a very good guest for that show. So, um, And if not, we're going to bring you some great stories, no matter what happens, about some of the contributions that we have made to this great country. So make sure you stick around for that. It's going to be coming to you on Tuesday, February 1st. Um, after that, our next weekly roundup is going to be on uh, Saturday, February 5th. That's going to be weekly roundup number three. So make sure you tune in for that to get all your news from the past week and a nice, neat package here with me and Adrian on Saturday. So again, Tuesday, February 1st, it's going to be Black Contributions to America's Success. And then also coming up after that, Saturday, February 5th, weekly roundup number three. So make sure you tune in for both of those. There are going to be some great episodes coming to you. So before we go... We also want to let you know we have we do have some big things coming up regarding our donation page and also our charity of the month is going to be coming back next month. And so age is going to let you know what you have to look forward to. Absolutely. Um, as Devin was kind of alluding to next month, it's going to be good for us. Black History Month. Um, so some really great interviews that we're going to be discussing about a lot of things in the black community. But we're also going to be introducing our new donation page to patron uh, which we're also going to have merchandise where you can get things as you give to us. Different things uh, on top of the merchandise, you'll be able to also be a part of different, you know, community groups, uh, get fan shout outs, you know, meet meet with us, you know, different things like that. So, uh, like I said, be on the lookout for that. That's going to be a really exciting thing as, we, as we're seeing a lot of growth. Um, we're, we're nearing 10,000 downloads, so we're really, really excited about that. And then the other thing we're excited about is our charity of the month. You know, as we said earlier, we don't like to do a mid-month charity of the month because we'd like to be able to give them some full, you know, full uh, publicity. So be on the lookout for February as we announce our charity of the month. Like I said, it's Black History Month, so it's going to be something likely in that round. So make sure you get ready to hear about some new organization. Not going to be NAACP or anything like that. We're going to find something that you might not have heard about so that you can help to elevate an underdog that's working to fight and build social justice in our community. So be on the lookout for that. But like I said, coming to you next month. That's right. Got a lot to look forward to next month. Uh, before we go, make sure you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Black Agenda Pod is how you can find us. Um, you can also listen to us on pretty much all of the streaming platforms, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, you name it. You can find us in even even Pandora. You can find us on Pandora. Um, you can stream us pretty much anywhere. Um, so make sure you make sure you're following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you are subscribed to us on your streaming platform. Um, and so that way you don't listen or you don't miss out really on anything that we have coming up. So we have some great episodes coming to you. Um, also, just make sure you tune in next week. Uh, Tuesday, February 1st is going to be Black Contributions to America's Success. And then Saturday, February 5th is going to be Weekly Roundup number three. It's our opportunity to bring you some more news from the past week. Um, and so make sure you tune in for those two episodes. So for me and Adrian, we've enjoyed bringing you the news from this week. And until Tuesday, February 1st, we'll catch you next time. Yeah.